If you look in our culture close enough, you'll see very, very evident signs that we are a people who long for a Savior. Uh, matter of fact, this past week I was in the library working on the sermon and Trish asked me to pick up some kids' DVDs. And so I went down Central Library. There's a huge area of kids' DVDs. And I looked. the first DVD I looked at was Percy Saves the Day. Then I went down and I looked, and the very next DVD I looked at, Clipper saves the day, right? And so we always love to have these saviors. I mean, almost every TV show, almost every movie has a savior in it. Even movies like It's a Wonderful Life, which I watched Christmas Eve, you say, well, there's not really like action heroes and saviors in there. But even there, the angel, Clarence, saves George's life and saves Bedford Falls from its own ruin. Last night, I needed a break from preparing the sermon, so I turned on the news for literally 30 seconds, and there was a spot on there about Bieber fever. Bieber fever. If you don't know who Justin Bieber is, that's okay. But Justin Bieber is a 16-year-old boy who sings songs, and there is this girl here in Green Bay, maybe you saw this, but she has 110 posters of Justin Bieber in her small little room. And she has spent up to $2,000 of her own money just to get Bieber paraphernalia to go to his concerts. And so what you see is that all of us long for some sort of savior to satisfy us in the disappointments of life. And I think that our hearts longing for a savior is a good thing. Matter of fact, I think it's a God thing. That God has put in all of our hearts a longing for a Savior's. And that's why all of our movies are centered around Savior's. Even commercials are centered around how this product will save you from your misery, right? It's amazing how a vacuum cleaner not only cleans your house, but makes everybody around you really happy, right? And how it makes the sun shine brighter and the food tastes better. And so all these products are laid out as saviors. And for me, I think, honestly, part of the heartache of December 26th every year is that I have all of these little uh, fake saviors, I guess you could say, that I think will make me happy. I have all these presents around me, all these people that I had hoped to be here with me on Christmas, and I sit there surrounded by these things and surrounded by these people and think to myself, Man, I thought I would be more happy after all the hype. And what it is, is all these substitute saviors let us down. And so all of us, I think, have these substitute saviors. All of these are things that are good gifts from God that we put in the place of God to find encouragement, to find joy, to find deliverance. And so there's a whole range of things. As I said, all of these are good gifts from God, whether it be sports, whether it be alcohol, whether it be food, whether it be sex, whether it be money, whether it be children, power, summer, right? All of these are things that we say, if only I had that, or if I only had more of this, then I would be happy, then I would be content, then I would be satisfied. But we know that these do not ultimately satisfy. So today and next week, what I want to do is I want to convince your heart and I want to convince my heart 
that Jesus is a far superior Savior. And that in the times of our lives where we feel discouraged, where we feel stressed out, overwhelmed, the Savior that we should run to is the only one that is sufficient, the only one that truly satisfies for all eternity. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we're actually just going to continue the story of the birth of Jesus this week and next. We're going to look at uh, Jesus being presented at the temple. We're going to look at it both this week and next week. Um, But let's start Luke chapter 2. Does anyone know what page is in the Red Bible by chance? 857. Page 857 in the Red Bible. Luke chapter 2, and we're actually going to read verse 21 through 35. Luke 2, 21 through 35. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, being Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, we sit under it, ready to learn, ready to be examined ourselves, God, and to expose in us any false saviors, anything in our life that we run to instead of you, God. Lord, pray today that you would convince our heart beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the supreme Savior, that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior, that Jesus is the only Savior that satisfies for all eternity. Help us. Change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let me start by asking you this question. What is your substitute Saviors? Savior or Saviors? What are the things that you run to when you stress out in life? Because what we're going to look at today is what kind of Savior is Jesus? And why is Jesus a superior Savior to those ones that you run to? First, we're going to see that Jesus is a 
Jewish Savior. If you look at verse 21, it says, And at the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before He was conceived in the womb. We see that Jesus is raised in a devout Jewish family. And the first obligation and privilege of a Jewish family with the oldest born son is to go and have him circumcised. Now, what circumcision meant at that time is it did not mean that a child was automatically saved, that they were automatically going to heaven. That comes by faith as it was in the Old Testament and in the New. But like baptism, it means that they were included into the people of God, into the visible people of God, Israel, the church. And so what we see here is that Jesus' uh, Jesus' parents follow the Jewish custom as laid out to Abraham to bring him into the people of God. And the reason why this was so important for Jesus is because a male was not allowed to come into the temple or to come into the synagogue unless he was circumcised. And so I'm not sure whose job it was to figure out if they were circumcised or not, but Jesus would not have been able to come in, right? A job I would not want. But Jesus would not have been able to come in and to teach and to lead the Jews as their Messiah, as their Savior. And so it's so vitally important that Jesus was circumcised. It goes on, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, which is 40 days after Jesus' birth, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. The word holy literally means set apart. And so when we say God is holy, we're saying He is set apart in His purity and His righteousness and His power and His glory. But what happened, if you remember, back in Exodus, uh, Israel is stuck in Egypt. And they're being oppressed as slaves in Egypt. And God comes and He brings the ten plagues upon Egypt to free Israel out of their slavery. And the final plague was to kill the oldest born child in the households. But for Israel, God says, I will spare your children if you take a lamb and spread it over the doorpost. But in exchange, you must dedicate your oldest born male to me. And so generation after generation, men have been dedicated to the service of the Lord as the oldest born male in that family. Now it changed when the Levitical priesthood came into being in Leviticus 8 or 9. Um, where God ordains a different group of people. But at this time, it was the oldest born male that would be the religious leaders of the society. And so Jesus is initiated into this. He's brought before the Lord, as is commanded for a Jewish family, that he might be dedicated as holy to the Lord, set apart for the Lord. And so he was extremely Jewish. His family was devout Jewish. And the reason why this is so important is because we need a Savior who follows God's law, God's perfect, holy, and Jewish law, flawlessly. And only a Jewish Savior can do that. Jesus acknowledges this in Matthew 5.17 when He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You know, it's interesting. Why did Jesus 
being God incarnate, God in flesh, why did he feel the necessity to follow his own law? The law that he put forth. Why did he come to obey the law? And the reason why Jesus did this is because we are all born under the law. We are born under God's righteous decrees. God has these rules that says you must follow these perfectly to be saved. James 2.10 puts it this way, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. This is what it means. If you are a really, 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 really good person, but you mess up one time, you break the law one time, you sin one time, you hate one person, you lust after one person, you are accountable for the whole thing. And you suffer the consequences of your sin because God is that holy. God is that righteous. God is that wonderful. But Jesus, our Jewish Savior, fulfilled the law perfectly, never sinning, not even once. Why? To redeem you. To make you God's child. If you look with me, Galatians 4, should be up here, 4 through 5, says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. Extremely important. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And so we see that Jesus comes. He lives the perfect life we should have lived. And then He dies the death we should have died on the cross. And at the cross, something amazing happens. This is called by many the great exchange in which the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ is given to all who trust in Him and our sin and our imperfection is transferred to Him. And He pays the consequences of it. The wrath of God on our behalf. It is a great exchange. When I lived in Columbia, Missouri, I worked for a ministry called Young Life. And I had a friend who lived about 30 miles south in Jefferson City named Justin Campbell. He also worked for Young Life. And Justin uh, was going to take a couple of these high school guys out to Colorado to go skiing for a few days. But the, uh, the weather didn't look good. And Justin had this old... Uh, 10-year-old Toyota Camry with like 230,000 miles on it. And he thought, you know what? It's just too dangerous to go in this vehicle. And he's telling his friend, Clyde, who, uh, who I think is a millionaire. If not, he's close. And Clyde says, hey, why don't we just exchange vehicles? And Justin's like, really? And he said, yeah, let's just exchange. Now, Clyde had this brand new, literally less than a month old SUV that was priced, I'm sure, well over $30,000. And Clyde said, let's just change vehicles. One of my favorite parts of the story is uh, Justin said to Clyde, he goes, won't you be thinking, man, I can't believe Justin's driving my brand new SUV. And Clyde said, well, will you be thinking, I can't believe Clyde's driving my Toyota Camry? <laughs> so, so here is this, this millionaire driving this old, beat-up Toyota Camry to work every day for a week, while Justin, this poor little guy, is driving this brand-new, souped-up SUV. What a great exchange. Who would want that exchange? I would want it, right? But at the cross, there's even a greater exchange. See, Justin got Clyde's perfect new car, but Clyde got Justin's junker. 
at the cross, Jesus takes on our junk. Jesus takes on our sin, and He pays for it in full, and He gives us His flawless, perfect obedience as a Jew to the Jewish law. This is a great exchange. Does your substitute Savior do that for you? Does your substitute Savior pay for your sin? Does your substitute Savior reconcile you to God? Does your substitute Savior die on your behalf because it loves you so much? See, one of the major distinctions between Jesus and every other Savior that's out there is that every other Savior just wants to take from you. But Jesus gave His only life for you because He loves you that much. And so we need a Jewish Savior because He fulfilled God's perfect Jewish law on our behalf. Secondly, we need Jesus as a superior Savior because Jesus is a consoling Savior. Look in verse 25 with me. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was Upon him. This word consolation is a noun. It's a word that we don't really use very much. The only place I can think of that we actually use this word is when we talk about a consolation prize, right? Which is given to the first loser, right? And to all other losers. They get this consolation prize. A more helpful uh, way or a more familiar way of looking at it possibly is the verb, which is to console, which means to comfort or to encourage or to refresh. But this consolation that's being talked about here in Luke 2.25 is a word in the Greek is called parakalesis. And it's used many places else, many places else in the New Testament. And it helps us understand what it means that Jesus is our consolation. It's actually very fascinating. In Acts 4.36, Barnabas is called the son of parakalesis, the son of consolation. Many of you know him as the son of encouragement. In Acts 9.31 it says the church walks in the parakalesis, the consolation or the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says we worship the God of all parakalesis, God of all consolation. The God of all comfort. And so we see that when Simeon's holding that baby Jesus, and he says, I have seen the consolation of Israel. He's saying, I have seen Israel's Not only hope, but Israel's refreshment, Israel's encouragement, Israel's comfort. You know, this plays out very practically in our lives often. Um, I have two sons, Corbin and Caleb, and they love to go downstairs, and they love to go downstairs to play with toys. But it's a little bit scary, right? You all remember what it's like. It's scary to go down into the basement. Some of you are still there. It's okay. But it's scary to go down in the basement, right? And so Corbin and Caleb, they love to go down there and play, but their question is always, Mommy, Daddy, will you come with me? Right? Will you come with me? And what they want us for is for their consolation, that we would be a comfort to them, that, they would, that it would drive out all fear, that they would be encouraged to go play like crazy. Jesus is our consolation. And very practically, we see this right away in verse 29, what the ramifications are on our life. Look in verse 29 with me. Simeon says this, Lord, now you are telling your servant, depart in peace 
according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You see how this works for Simeon? Simeon says, I am now at peace. I am now comforted. I am now encouraged knowing that this life is not the end all be all. That God has indeed sent a Savior, a Deliverer, and that I will be with this consolation, Jesus, for all eternity. And so what it does is it gives those who have catched a glimpse of Christ a comfort, an encouragement that surpasses all understanding. That even though this life is a vapor, as the Bible says, we will spend all eternity with our comforter and encourager, Jesus. Again, (laughs) your substitute saviors, my substitute saviors, they don't promise this. They don't give you anything. They only take but Christ gives us comfort and encouragement for all eternity. Finally, we see that Jesus is not only a Jewish Savior, Jesus is not only a uh, consolation Savior, Jesus is also the anointed Savior. Verse 26, And it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word Christ literally means Messiah or anointed. And in my very brief Christmas night search of the word anointed in the Old Testament, basically applies to three offices. People were anointed if they were going to be a prophet, if they were going to be a priest, or if they were going to be a king. And the book of Hebrew tells us those are the three things Jesus is. He's our prophet. Jesus proclaims to us the good news. He teaches us the good news through his disciples and his word. Jesus is the priest who offers the sacrifice, his own life on our behalf. And Jesus is the king who is ruling over all of creation, redeeming it, bringing it back to himself, back to the way it's supposed to be. And so Jesus is the anointed savior, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. But one more really interesting thing. In the Old Testament, all those people were anointed by other people. But this says that he is the Lord's anointed. He's appointed, anointed by God himself. Trish and I have this new show that we really enjoy. It's called Chase. And uh, basically what the show is about is it's about some U.S. Marshals who chase down bad guys. That's the name of the show. In one of the episodes that we saw, there was this guy who was just dying to be a U.S. Marshal. He spent his whole life preparing to be a U.S. Marshal. Actually went to whatever it's called, camp or wherever, to become a U.S. Marshal. But he failed because he had too much of a temper. And he pointed a gun at some guy. And, and so he went around posing as a U.S. Marshal in a small town in Texas for several years until he got extremely trigger-happy and alerted the real U.S. Marshals who came and arrested him. Now, what's the point? There is a lot of substitute saviors out there that pose as the real savior. There's a lot of substitute things out there, whatever it may be, money, fame, popularity, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, children, husbands, wives, that pose as these substitute saviors, but they aren't the real thing because they weren't anointed by the right person. Jesus is the Lord's anointed. He is the one given and appointed by God. 
And so we see why Christ is such a better Savior than our substitute ones. There is a, uh, another show. We're talking about shows a lot today. There's another show that holds my, uh, holds my attention for about 10 minutes and then I lose it called The Antiques Roadshow. Some of you have probably heard of it, especially if you don't have cable. But there is the Antiques Roadshow, and what happens is they go around to these different places, and people bring in their treasures, right? And they bring in their treasures, and these appraisers sit down, and they tell them these just amazing facts about these things. Like, you know, what what decade it was made in, what city it was made in, if the guy who made it was left-handed or right-handed. I mean, they just know everything about these treasures. Um, well, there is one that was brought up in North Carolina in 2009. And by the way, the, the way that, that every of these appraisals end is with an assessment of the value, right? And then you get to see their shock and reaction. Oh, it's worth that much? Or, man, it's worth that much, right? So there's one in Raleigh, North Carolina in 2009. A woman brought this collection in of pottery that her father brought back from China in the 1930s. And I think we actually have a picture of it up here. And so looking at that, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, man, that is the ugliest stuff I have ever seen. I mean, that doesn't even belong as a white elephant gift. It's so bad, right? That's just me. But she takes it in and they assess it. And the guy tells her all these amazing facts about this pottery. And then he comes back and he assesses it as high as $1.07 million. <laughs> I'd probably take, give you $10 to take it away, but... It's interesting, this story with Mary and Joseph, because it actually made me think of the Antiques Roadshow, because Mary and Joseph, they know that their son is valuable. But they, and they bring him to the temple as they're commanded to do, right? But then they find out so many amazing more things about their son, Jesus. They find out that he is obviously a Jewish Savior, but also a consoling Savior, and the anointed Savior. You see, for us, it is so silly for us to go to all these substitute saviors because none of them provide the satisfaction that Christ does. Christ's value is infinite. And so it's foolishness for us to run to any of those other ones. Jesus is the superior Savior. Jesus is the sufficient Savior. Jesus is the all-satisfying Savior. Run to Him. Let's pray. God, thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, the most wonderful and beautiful Savior ever imagined. And God, we confess to You that we do run to other Saviors several times a day when life is hard, when life is difficult. But God, pray that You would bring this message back to us. Let us remember that You are the only sufficient Savior for us. That we would run no place else, but that we would be constantly renewed by Your living water. God, may Your Holy Spirit work in our lives to help us believe this every second of every day. In Jesus' name, Amen.